0: Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. Holy smoke, a land shakes alive, I never thought this could happen to me. Hello, and welcome back to the Soundtrack to a Life. Uh, I am Chris Monroe, and with me is Daniel. Daniel, say hi. Hi. Tell people about yourself. We are doing this thing. What brought you here? What is the journey that took you to this moment?
1: I was brought here because I like talking about music. It's a big part of my life, and it seemed like a fun way to spend a
0: couple of hours. And I think it is. Uh, And Daniel and I today are uh, talking about Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine's 1990 album, Uh, 101 damnations. Let's talk about college radio, shall we? Sure. One funny thing that you can do when you're 13 or 14 years old and afraid to do anything that might draw attention to yourself is sit in the basement with a book and headphones on, ravenously devouring radio. The trouble is, of course, that popular radio is nonsense. This has always been the case, and the only reason people think that pop radio is worse today than it ever was is that radio pop today doesn't have a pleasant haze of nostalgia obscuring its more terrible features yet. It does a job, but by definition, it's the most sanitized version of music, because it's the format in which the gate is most aggressively kept. You can like a radio pop song, and I do like several, but you're very rarely going to be surprised by it. Which is where college radio comes in. It has no specific mandate, it does not need to be commercial, and the DJs are given much more leeway with regard to what they play. Somewhere around 1992, 1993, thereabouts, a young woman at the University of Calgary hosted a show on CJSW from midnight till 1 or 2 in the morning, where she'd play weird, UK-based alternative music, because that was the sort of music she liked. There was really nothing more to it than that. She liked it, and they let her host a show, so she played it. She introduced me to Carter USM, and to Wonder Stuff, and Pop Will Eat Itself, to Ride, and The Charlatans, and Lush to the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays and dozens of other bands that I still listen to to this day. She worked at the HMV downtown, and would talk music with me if I came in. Uh, She was the one who suggested uh, that I start reading magazines like Melody Maker and New Musical Express. And she always had a smile and a suggestion, and a genuine love of music that she was eager to share with whomever would listen. She has probably influenced my taste in music more than any other human being on this earth, and I suspect that she has no idea how important a feature she was in my life how much I idolized her at the time, or how much she's influenced me to this day. She probably doesn't remember me at all, and I have long since forgotten her name. But in a weird way, I loved her. Life is funny that way. Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine was my first punk band, and a weird entry point to the genre, but one that I think is very on-brand for me. Two dudes with guitars, prepared backing tapes, and a drum machine, a ton of energy, and total lack of self-consciousness. Over-fond of their own wit filling up their lyrics with too clever wordplay and wry references to other songs, doing it cheap and cheesy so as to get it out to whatever audience they could find. It's weird and minimalist and scrappy as fuck, and I suppose that if I'd taken a different path in my life and wound up in a punk band myself, it would have sounded very similar to Carter USM. I love them for that. I see myself in them because I found them at a very formative point in my life, and I needed that energy and that confidence and that winking, smirking humor. I didn't know I needed it at the time, And looking back on it, these guys hit me at exactly the right time to stick. And they have. I own their first five albums, and we will be covering all of them here sooner or later. But on their debut, 101 Damnations, we catch them at their scrappiest, with barely a budget and zero established audience, but a total self-belief that if they did what came naturally, everything else would come. Which, surprisingly enough, it did. In the UK, at least. I'm one of maybe six people in Canada who give a shit about Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. So Daniel, now that you've listened to 101 Damnations by Carter USM, tell me, what do you think? I really enjoyed it. I had never heard of Carter USM before. They were
1: brand new to me, so I was I will say hesitant to get into them as I am now getting older and getting crustier in my uh acceptance of new music, but they are they are absolutely the kind of band where where I 16, 17, 18 again would have loved and they That kind of sound kind of took me back to being that age again, and yeah, to that that kind of music, which is kind of when I started to get into punk as well, so yeah, it was a kind of a nice throwback to being kind of a shitty teenager again, which was...
0: Right? We cannot be the people that we were at 14, 15, 16. No,
1: and God, I wouldn't want to be. No. was
0: terrible back then, but... And we
1: would break our bones doing half
0: of the things that we did.
1: Yeah, I am so much more fragile than I
0: used to be. God, bones Just, are so important. I bruise <laughs> so much now. That is true, but, I mean, you don't technically have to be on a skateboard. No, and, uh, <laughs> and never was. What? No. Oh, good gravy. Uh,
1: never, never skateboarded. My younger brother tried once and almost peeled half his face off, and I just never had the desire after that, oddly enough.
0: That's very similar to why I stopped cycling. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I stopped skiing. There was a tree incident. See, I never, my school kept taking me skiing, so I didn't feel like I had any agency. I never went skiing in my life and did not end the day in an emergency room. I never ended in the emergency room, but I
1: also only ever went to school. I never went skiing recreationally. Yeah.
0: I mean, I guess if the mountains are right there, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, they were not for me. I grew up in Fort McMurray. There are no mountains. There are a couple of large hills. Oh, so. Yeah, it was a
0: lot more, it was a lot more prevalent in Calgary. Yeah, I imagine. So, Carter USM, the format, I feel like, is different. Yeah. I purposefully
1: didn't look into I didn't go online and look them up because I kind of wanted to learn over the course of this hour a little bit more about them. Uh, I didn't want to have a lot of ideas about them going into it. But starting off very sampler-heavy, but very um, synthesizer-heavy for um,
0: punk of that kind of age. And, and sampler-heavy. They use uh, yeah more samples than you would expect for this style of music.
1: Yeah, which is very unusual. A little more prevalent now than it used to be, but still not, still not a huge feature of the genre. The little, um, little intercuts from movies or TV between tracks have always been kind of a thing, but heavy, heavy synthesizer use is not common. Although I guess in the UK, a little more than
0: Traditionally American punk bands. Yeah, especially during this period, where, if I'm understanding correctly, we were getting to the point where sequencers and synths and programmable music was becoming something that was available more widely.
1: Yeah, and you're well past your joy divisions and new orders and kind of into more early electronic music, so that technology was definitely more prevalent and that style was definitely more popular than it would have been in, like,
0: your late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, it was really on the upswing at the time. This was, as a UK alternative band, the other things going on at the time were uh, Madchester, okay. which was dance beats yeah. and guitar bands and so many drugs. Well. <laughs> uh, and if you wanted to show up to a night where you were not destroyed on drugs. I mean, if that's your thing, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's for some people. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) myself included. Yeah, I'm old now. I don't want to warehouse rave until four in the morning.
1: I don't know that there was ever a point where I wanted to warehouse rave until four in the morning. We are very
0: different men, because there definitely was for me. (laughs) I believe that. You hit me in about, like, 1999, 2000, when every guitar band sounded like Limp Bizkit and every rapper sounded like P. Diddy. Oh. And I am joining you at a warehouse rave like nobody's business. Yeah, Shameful Times in my musical
1: past, which we'll get into eventually. I
0: feel like Shameful Times in all of our musical past, like, millions of people bought Limp Biscuit records. I'm. Someone listening to this might be a huge Limp Biscuit fan still.
1: That's possible, and I will try to avoid saying too much unfavorable about them (laughs) as a charity to the one person out there who is still really heavy on
0: that train. Do you know what? I'll go one better. Limp Biscuit fan out there, you do you. Well done. <laughs> you are not making a popular choice, and I respect your willingness to do that.
1: Congratulations on sticking to those incredibly rare
0: guns you have. Sometimes you got to double down. But yeah, um, these guys did manage to do a lot of like programmed music, a lot of synth, a lot of uh, samples. There are only two members of the band. Which makes um,
1: which makes that a little bit necessary and explains the drumming a little bit more, which did seem seemed like a drum machine. Seemed very, very yeah. straightforward, which not unusual for a punk record, but yeah. maybe more so
0: than I guess you'd get with a drummer with arms. It's true, yeah. And they did uh, later, they did eventually expand as their career wore on. By the last uh, record by them that I own, I think they were up to three or four members by the last record they put out. Uh, they were up to seven. That's that's an expansion. Yeah, and it felt like, I mean, from the fact that I only own the first five still, some of the energy was lost. Eventually, you just kind of hit a point where they are a band like others. Yeah. Rather than two weird dudes with guitars making each other laugh with puns. Which is a thing that I own a lot of records by. But at the same time, it's a thing that I own a lot of records by. Yeah. Like, some of the uniqueness uh, of Carter was started, lost. Started to wear away later on. Yeah, yeah. How did you, how did you enjoy the puns and the references to uh, early 90s British pop culture? Did that wear on you? The puns I could have taken or left, as I am
1: notoriously anti-pun. The references to, to other pop culture I appreciate because that's something, that's, I don't know, it's just something kind of passingly clever that I've appreciated in other artists. It's either the first or second track. There are several, several references in that I quite enjoyed. It was really, really... 24 Minutes to Tulse Hill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was, I would say, probably my favorite track on the record. Really dug that one. Did find a video for Sheriff Fatman, which I assume was kind of...
0: Yeah, that was, hit the, the, that was the off That was the single. single
1: off the record,
0: which I also quite <clears throat> enjoyed. Yeah, uh, looking it up on Wikipedia, Sheriff Fatman uh, eventually peaked at number twenty-three on the UK pop charts. Apparently, which That's means pretty impressive. Yeah, in a very technical sense, this was radio music. Yeah, and very like very catchy, very
1: at least musically radio friendly. Lyrically, still pretty edgy, but.
0: UK pop, you probably could have gotten away with that still. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a song about a slumlord who deals drugs on the side. Yep. And the chorus is a rap song that sounds like a baseball announcer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, I guess with Meatloaf in the world, having a rap part in the middle that sounds like a baseball announcer is not unheard of. But it's by no means true. And I I would take
1: this over eight and a half minutes of Meatloaf any day of the week. It is
0: far more fun and much less of a grind to get through. This might just be the year and a bit that I spent working as a karaoke host. There are a few things that I would not rather do than listen to Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. I understand
1: that as a frequenter of
0: karaoke bars, it is rough. Trust me, when you're the host, so much worse. I believe The that. drunkest woman in the bar will come up to you. Do you want to sing Paradise by the Dashboard Lights with me? And you don't. Well, the woman barely sings, so what you're actually asking is, do you want to sing Paradise by the Dashboard Lights for you? And I still not And I really don't. But I'm getting paid, so I guess I'm going to now. And this is just my life. Whereas this, I would, I would happily hear at any karaoke bar, although none ever will have it.
1: No. No, I can't imagine they would. Although... If I ever find one that does, you will be the first person I let know.
0: Text me immediately. There are a number of Carter songs that I would happily sing. Until my voice gave out. Which it might. Yeah. This is split pretty raw vocals. These are shout-alongs. I feel like it'd be an evening well spent. And, right. you know, two days of recovery. All that we have is time. We have to spend it doing things that are meaningful. By which I mean... Incredibly foolish. <laughs> singing... And bad for Synthesized ourselves. skate punk songs from the early 90s while drunk.
1: No, I feel like that should be a priority in everybody's life. Yeah. There are worse things I can think of doing and have spent time and money doing.
0: Oh, good lord, the number of stupid nonsense things that I have done with time that could be better spent.
1: The, the number of stupider things I have done at karaoke would make up a significant list. Paradise by the Dashboard light among them. Ugh, why must this be? Uh, I drink a lot at karaoke and make poor choices. Well,
0: I mean, that is what drinking is for. It's what karaoke's for, as far as I can tell. I think that we could definitely make that into some kind of PSA for all of the people who take it very seriously. Uh, I am
1: not a good enough singer to take it seriously. I am marginal enough to not Make people claw their
0: eyes out sometimes. That's the correct amount of singing. Someone in every karaoke bar is convinced that they're going to be discovered and then either given a record deal or sent to Broadway in spite of the fact that actually you're on 17th Avenue in Calgary. And they make my heart ache. It's always a toss-up whether I hate them more or whether I hate
1: the group of drunks doing Bohemian Rhapsody more. Oh... And it very
0: often is not the drunks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the Bohemian Rhapsody drunks, and, you know, not to resort to gender stereotyping, but it's usually dudes. Yeah. Uh, They're at least having a good time. Yep. Been one of those, too. Which is the point of going to a bar if you're not having a good time. You should probably just be drinking at home. Or you have some kind of job that allows you to have business meetings and bars. In which case, what do you do? And are you hiring? That why does are you seem doing nice. it
1: during karaoke
0: hour? That seems counterproductive. Right? You can't have a conversation under those circumstances. Except at um, Watchmen's. Have you been to Watchmen's karaoke? No, I haven't. Which is weird, as it's a very short walk. They have a patio that you can hear the karaoke from. But But still talk over? Yeah. Ah. It's the best part of karaoke and the best part of patio drinking. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I like both of those things. This is my new thing. I bring my friends information... That will improve their life, but like slightly too late, like it is October now as we're recording this, it is probably too late for you to make use of this until spring.
1: Yeah, and definitely by the time this comes out, it will be far past
0: patio drinking. Almost certainly, unless you are very hearty, and like, we are Canadian, so there might be somebody willing to go patio drinking in the snow Although it is January. karaoke,
1: and it would not be unreasonable for it to be 20 degrees at some point in November. That's a fact. this city is stupid, That's, and
0: I hate its weather. Hey, come on. I like my weather to be consistent. Oh, I like my weather to be nice. If we get inconsistent, but sometimes it's nice when it's supposed to suck weather... I go back and forth on that a great deal. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in this town regretting whatever decision that I've made with regard to a coat in the morning.
1: Uh, See, I I spend a lot of time in this city driving, so consistent weather is ideal for me. Ooh, that does seem... If it's going to be cold and icy, I want it to be consistently cold and icy, because I can be prepared for that. If it melts and freezes over and over and again, as it frequently does, it throws so many wrenches into my
0: gears and nearly gets me killed once a year. Yeah, that's pretty legit. So the lyrics here, they're punny, they're reference-y. Uh There's a lot of, like, tongue twistery, too cute by half wordplay. Some of the themes are dark, though, like once you get under it. Relistening to it, uh, Sheriff Fatman is about a slumlord dealing drugs to his tenants.
1: Yeah, lot 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 of references to drug dealing and yeah, yeah. like Good grief, Charlie Brown. You're you're your very your funny. Shea Underground, the first track that isn't the musical intro is a song about people committing suicide, which was a bleak
0: introduction. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. But still with puns and jokes. yeah, The All American National Sport is about a homeless person being beaten, and set on fire yeah uh, good grief, Charlie Brown. That kid was just straight up abandoned by both of his parents, and they kind of skated over it. Yeah, and which which I completely glossed
1: over the first couple times going through. I was like, okay, this is this is kind of odd sounding. Hang on. Hang on. Oh,
0: oh no Oh, I'm sad now, right? this is This is not happy. Yeah, like it's a weird, it's a weird mix. Like every part of this record, and I think this is part of why I like these guys so much, is a little bit deliberately dissonant. The songs are about very dark things, but with more jokes than are reasonable to expect thrown in on top of that. The music is guitar-based punk rock with synths and samples and drum machines behind it and quite quite a bit of it relatively cheery sounding yeah and everything everything like grinds up against everything else so that you don't know exactly what you're listening to from moment to moment yeah like it's it's music that keeps you on your guard a little bit if you come into it with expectations about what music sounds like today especially because everything is very produced yes But at the time, I think as well, like, I remember listening to commercial radio in 1990, 91, 92, and it was not, not bland. Michael Bolton was just starting out. The two biggest selling artists of that decade were Mariah Carey and Garth Brooks. That's just a fact that you have to live with. I constantly wonder why people look
1: back on the nineties with fondness as Because they're from then, and so am I largely, and I don't have those i don't have those fond nineties memories and i
0: don't I don't know why that is i have see yeah I have fond nineties memories, but they're not, they're of not i don't the think... actual events of the nineties like it was all the things that I was doing and the people who yeah I was but with they're 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 not they're not Pop culture touchstones of the night. Yeah, like my taste in music and pop culture in general has always been a little bit more corner case. Like, less so for movies. I watch just the exact movies, if you were to point out, based on sales figures, what movies human like humans like. I like most of those movies. But for music and for television, I'm already naturally drawn to, like, weirder act. Yeah, that track's based on literally everything I know about you. Yeah, give or take. I'm a few years
1: younger than you, so my pop culture from the 90s never... didn't really stick, and I didn't have an identity of my own, per se. Yeah. It was... Like, the the early 90s, you... The internet was not a thing. You couldn't... You couldn't get a lot of exposure to out-of-the-mainstream things unless you... New people. You did. Yeah. Or in, in your case, yeah. had access to college radio, which I didn't. We had two radio stations. There was oh, the country music station, which I never listened to and the kind of pop radio rock station, which I listened to pretty much everywhere. If my parents weren't playing music in the car. So my, my kind of exposure to that is a lot of 90s radio rock, your early Can con and your Goo Goo Dolls and that kind of
0: radio. I mean, say what you era. Will, say what you will about the Goo Goo Dolls; they wrote the most romantic song that was ever written about Nicholas Cage.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> you you raise a very good point.
0: You find a song that's more appropriate to romance Nicholas Cage too. Or better, don't think about that. It's only going to scar you.
1: No, it's too late. Oh. I'm going to try now, and this might be the thing that breaks me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you find it, come up here on a future episode and force me to listen to it. Oh, I will. I will be back.
1: I will be a broken shell of a man, but I will be
0: back. mm, You didn't have a college radio station growing up. No. Because I was attributing your... um, Are you exactly five years younger than me? How old are you? Uh, 39. Yes. Okay. And our first punk albums were released exactly five years apart, so, so the, that tracks. The <laughs> album that we're going to be talking about is not my
1: first punk album, but mm. it is the most important one. My so. first punk album would have been a few years earlier, and it would have been it would have been Green Day.
0: Yeah. Which, that was true for a lot of people. Yeah.
1: Because uh, that was kind of the record at the yeah. in the mid
0: '90s. No, one hundred percent. Like, if you didn't, the only reason Dookie was not uh, my first punk record was that this had come out a couple of years before. Yeah, and uh, somebody had suggested it to me. I cannot imagine how you dealt with not a college radio station in your town. If I went through my collection of music, I could probably pick out sixty or seventy bands that I literally only know because of this one late night DJ. Well,
1: here, here's the thing: if you if you grow up somewhat culturally isolated, which is less and less of a thing these days. You don't realize the scope of what you're missing until you eventually get out there and find all of the things that you hadn't seen, and you're discovering them for the first time, and they are 5, 10, 20 years old, but they're new to you because they just didn't show up. They didn't show up on the radio. Yeah, they didn't get on your radio. You walked through the one of the two record stores in town, and they would have been there, but you never would have known to look for them, and you never would have bothered to stop and take a chance. And I didn't, because I was not a super culturally aware back then, because I just wasn't. It wasn't a thing that I did. Yeah, it
0: wasn't something that you could do. No, and you a 14-year-old cannot be expected to make decisions with regard to the culture they consume. They don't have the breadth and focus and resources. No. Uh, Somebody needs to say, try this, and then you try that and then determine whether or not you like it. But if you're picking something for yourself, you're picking it basically at random.
1: Yeah, and and most most of my friends growing up through that period... Were exposed to precisely the same amount of stuff that I was. It wasn't until, wasn't until high school that I started to meet more people who had broader tastes and things, and that's that's where I ended up getting deeper and deeper into punk and into metal and getting
0: more exposure to stuff like that. That checks out. That tracks. Them. Different question. Sure. Uh, I asked this last week, and I'll ask it uh, this week. By that I mean two weeks ago, but whatever. Angry guitar music. Due for a comeback? Yes. I mean, I don't personally know that it's ever
1: really left. It's just gone different places. It's left the radio more than kind of the late 90s, early 2000s. Mid-2000s, even. Yeah, like, mid-2000s. Say what you will yeah. about... Uh,
0: Emo and verb number punk and the kind of hipster nonsense that for some reason Canada was putting on pop charts around the world at the time.
1: Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> nobody on the podcast
0: can see this, but I am pointing directly at myself right now. Right? I am all of significantly
1: was, responsible
0: for that. All of that was radio music like, yeah. up until like 2007, 2008 or so.
1: And that that has left the radio in favor of for about six months... Folk rock, and then I don't really... I'm not super familiar with radio play now, because I don't have to be. I have so many options to not listen to the radio.
0: I'm jealous of that. We have popular contemporary radio on in my work. So I get to have opinions on the new Taylor Swift.
1: I I, I have heard the new Taylor Swift, and I don't particularly have an opinion on it. I don't immediately loathe it, but I don't love it. it. Yeah. It
0: exists, and I recognize that for a pop song, it's, here's it's where, all right. Here's the level that my cynical churlishness has gotten to as I age. I watched everyone tear down the new Taylor Swift on Twitter when it was released, and then it played at my work a couple of days later, and I was angry that it wasn't bad enough. <laughs> like, it's not a good song, but I can... Pile on if we're piling on. I have a good attitude towards that. It's probably a better attitude towards that than in light of what a good person entails. Uh, it should be. But everybody was trashing the new T Swift. I thought, okay, I'm going to go listen to this song, and then I'm going to. Uh, it was basically harmless. It was fine. There was. It's not
1: even the worst Taylor Swift song. There, there was not much to it. Yeah. I mean, I I understand from Twitter because. The blowback was inescapable. No matter how well you curate your feed, that there is a great deal of beef involved. But I know nothing of it and cannot be bothered to find out because it—it it, it just yeah, I don't care. Who she's, unimportant. I don't to care me. who she's dating. So I feel like a lot of that context was relevant to determining how much you hated it. And without it, I I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah, I guess that checks out. Although I will, I will admit that recently, and I'm not entirely sure why, I think it came up randomly on, as a Spotify recommendation. I listened to a Carly Rae Jepsen album and found that I legitimately enjoyed it, which
0: I was not expecting. I'm told, yeah, her. So I am, I'm not. The one with calling maybe or the next one? Did it have Carly Rae, uh Did it have "Call Me Maybe" on it? Yeah, I want to say yes, but the thing was, if it
1: came on, I skipped over it as oh. I do not care for that song. But I liked
0: the rest of the album. Neat. All right, mental note. Dig back into Carly Rae. She's still a thing. Yes, just had a new new single released, which is very catchy. Yes, she's good at that. She bubblegums well.
1: Yes, that is all that the record is. It is very bubblegum, but it is very well done. And no, it is not the one with Call Me Maybe. It is the other one. Yes.
0: (laughs) The other one. This conversation will hold up until she puts out a third one early next year, I want to say. (laughs) Probably. And then it will be of no help to anyone. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure they'll be able to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I'm given one her stand, she went in, like, a weird chamber poppy direction. Uh, after Call Me Maybe, but I've never looked into that myself. Which maybe I should. Maybe I should support Canadian artists, and uh, maybe I should show more national pride in my consumption of media. I, I mean, I wouldn't
1: make that the primary reason for listening to it, No. But- it, that, I, I, I
0: will say, as far as pop albums go, you could do significantly worse. Fair enough. And I do have a soft spot in my heart for that. I don't even care. I like Kesha, non-ironically. Can't can't, <laughs> can't really judge you for that. No. She seems alright. Not anymore. You could have judged me, what, like three or four years ago for that? And I believe I but did. now enjoying Kesha is a political act. Yeah. So when I tell people, no, I enjoy the music of Kesha, they go, good for you. Yeah, standing let, up for what's right. Gotta let that slide now. And that's right. Everyone in the world has to let me. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, obviously, even in my punk rock, I will like some dance beats. Yeah, I feel like these guys would have been weird to see live. Yeah, it. I.
1: Oh, I am blanking on the name of the band now, and it's going to drive me nuts. Um, I saw a band open for Against Me probably seven or eight years ago, and it was drummer and a guitar player. Also very 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 sample heavy. And I imagine it would be similar to to their show which was amazing amounts of fun. Very high energy, very very weird. God, it's going to kill me if I can't remember what what they were called. We'll see if I can figure it out at some point
0: in here. Yeah, just yell over me if you figure it out over the course of the thing. I feel like with two uh with two members it's easier to do this kind of like weird genre mashup thing because there are fewer people in the room to tell you not to. Yeah. And I wanna Oh, how... I found it. Who is it? It's a band called Japanther. Japanther is yes. a fucking good name for And it. I
1: I had never heard of them and I enjoyed the shit out of their set. So and I am going to make a note of that, because I am going to want to You're gonna go buy the Japanther record? I I'm gonna check that out and see what they've been up to in the last half-decade since I thought of them. Wouldn't it be
0: great if they were very famous, but somewhere weird? It would be. I feel like they're probably not. You never know! Do you know who's still a thing? Shaggy. Really? In every country where dancehall reggae is a thing? He is a famous maker of that kind of music. So not it's, not any country that I have been to yeah, recently. It's just in North America we fell out of love with that entire genre. Very quickly. Meanwhile, all through South America and portions of Europe. Huh. The dude is apparently still playing pretty big venues. I have I have not thought of Shaggy in a long time. I know. He's my go-to on people who aren't from here continue to be famous when they're out of your eye line. Hmm. Cause he was so big, and then gone so quickly,
1: yeah, well, i mean he he fell he fell into a era of radio and I guess much music where it was very much a single and done, and that was kind of where he ended up, but I guess he's still going yeah, he's
0: absolutely still going huh. he's still making that kind of music sure, when I just... discovered that he was still a thing, I went out and bought the new now it's like five years old. Uh Shaggy Record and listened to it because I had to know and it sounded great. It was fine. Hmm. Do you want to put some dancehall reggae on at a party? It's a weird choice, but probably if not that is, if that is the choice that you make, Shaggy's doing it well. Well there you go. If that ever comes up. Yeah. Because radio music is weird. These yeah. are the these are the two themes that we're developing with this show. One, what has constituted radio music at various times. And to how it's just always been weird? Yeah, it's been weirder than you think. Like, Sheriff uh, Fatman, off this record, hit number 23 in the UK charts. They spun three or four more radio hits. Radio hits? Chart hits. I wasn't listening to the radio in the UK. I shouldn't make too many judgments. But uh, off their third album, they actually hit the top ten huh. with a single, and it was a number one album the week that it came out. I They were... I would not have been able to guess that. Yeah.
1: If you, if you had asked me yeah. based on listening on listening to this record, if they had ever had a top ten hit,
0: I would have said no. Yeah. These two and like this was before they started adding band members. It was still two dudes, a drum machine, some samples, and the smallest budget that they could possibly get for music production. Well, good for them. And they were the biggest selling band in the country. Huh. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. Like, weird things come out of the margins randomly and take over the world. Like, we treat uh, Dookie by Green Day, or Nevermind by Nirvana, as fixed spots on a cultural landscape that has al- have always been there. Yeah. But if you asked anyone six months before their release... What music was going to sound like six months later? It's not what anyone would have called. No, I suppose not.
1: What would have been big on the radio just before those came out? In
0: 1990, okay, I actually do know this, because pre-Nevermind 90s is one of my favorite weird blips in music. For about like a year and a half, Everybody knew that the 90s was going to sound different from the 80s, but nobody knew why. So this was the era of Jesus Jones and EMF. Huh. Uh, like, that's... Previous to Nevermind, that's what people were banking on a new decade. We were going to listen to more Jesus Jones. Jesus Jones was going to be a band that had legs over the course of a long time. And, like, there were a lot of bands like that. Like, those two were the ones that were all over the radio. But... Uh, there were other different dance mu- electronic dance music with guitars over top um, acts that were gearing up. Like this was when Snap was happening and having power. This is when Technotronic was a thing. This is when CNC Music Factory happened. Like, if Kurt Cobain Man, had been hit by a truck dodged a at an a moment. And I mean
1: I am I am admittedly not a grunge fan and never really have been but i am thankful that that is the world we ended up in
0: i feel like this is the be- uh, yeah this is the better timeline
1: yeah Some, somewhere there is a dimension where cnc music factory is big
0: has always been big that record was a monster at the time yes <laughs> <laughs> it was everywhere for reasons that we do not remember 90s high school Dance competitions. Almost certainly. But yeah, that was a weird... And I mean, like, I feel like you can kind of trace a line from Carter to bands like Jesus Jones or EMF. Yeah. They... Like Carter Carter is the cute independent film version, and then Jesus Jones is the bigger budget remake. Yeah. The, I don't they... know. I think Jesus Jones' first record might have come out slightly before this.
1: But... Yeah, you, you polish some of the polish some of the edges you put some shinier filters on it it's it's got the same elements but it at, le-
0: at least for me it lacks something well yeah it lacks all the edges that's what happens when you polish them off jesus jones was the version of this music uh featuring a frontman that people might want to sleep with rather than one that looks like a squeegee punk <laughs> <laughs> which like Look up early Carter videos on YouTube. Uh,
1: yeah, no, I, I, I <laughs> did look up the Sheriff Fat Man video, and that is a very accurate description. Yeah,
0: he really does. He kind he, of looks like... He
1: he does look like someone that I would have almost gotten into a fight with in the early
0: 2000s. 100%. If we're going to just start saying embarrassing shit for a second, that ridiculous uh, shaved head ponytail right at the front of his head? Yeah. I tried that. Did not work. And... No pop culture touchstone that was relevant to anyone but me behind it, so I couldn't even explain why I had done so. I, I
1: feel like you have to be a very particular kind of person to be able to get away with that, and you certainly have to give very few fucks about what people think about your appearance. That's a fact.
0: Like, it is super important.
1: I mean, I, su- I suppose having the excuse of being in a weird punk band
0: helps... Which I imagine you were not. I was for about like a hot minute. I think we all have a punk band in our high school. Yeah, yeah.
1: I wouldn't have called mine a punk band. I wouldn't have really called it a band at all. But yeah, I also waited until well after high school to do dumb things with my
0: hair. Oh man, high school's the best time for that. They will beat the shit out of you. Well, Wait, when I say it out loud, that actually sounds bad. Never mind, you probably made the right call. No. Looking <laughs> looking back now, if I could have I got the shit beat
1: out of me anyway. Oh if I could have looked cooler while doing You could have doubled up. Like I would have at least had something to show for it. Yeah. Instead I looked like a sixteen year old band geek who got the shit kicked out of me. Oh man. I mean I still look like a sixteen year old band geek. I just don't get the shit kicked out of me as much as I used to. Yeah, because we're grown ass
0: men. And it's a crime. Yeah. In a way that beating the shit out of a child
1: should have been, you right?
0: But I think everyone and I think it is closer
1: to now. Yes, I think I think it's less socially acceptable to beat the shit out
0: of a sixteen-year-old than I it used to be. I believe that if a sixteen-year-old is beaten and kicked without mercy, uh, someone says something. Legal about repercussions it. will at least be discussed, but I don't know that for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I. I'm not 16, and I haven't tried kicking a
0: 16-year-old in a while. No, you only can do it if you're also 16. Yeah. Just putting that out there. There was never a time when an adult could savagely beat a child. Uh, Maybe the 50s. Anywho. (laughs) (laughs) I end the show with three questions, so I'm going to ask you three questions. All right, I'll answer three questions. We're getting to about that time. You have listened to Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machines' debut, 101 Damnations. It's a great name for a band and a great name for a record. Uh, you have discussed it in a tangential way. Um, Very much so. Now that we have recorded, will you be listening to this album again going forward? I don't know that the entire album will make it on repeat play, but there
1: are definitely songs that will make appearances on on my Spotify playlists in the future. There were some songs that I really enjoyed, uh, and there's a very good chance that I will check out some of the later albums to see kind of what direction that goes in.
0: It was interest. It was definitely interesting enough that I will listen to more of it. Nice, and that was my second question: Will you be checking out further albums by this act? Turns out, yes. Yes, and finally, if we could, uh, if we could play the episode out on one song, uh, which would you choose? Oh, um, if I had.
1: One song to play the... I would go with 24 Minutes from Tulse Hill. 24 Minutes from Tulse Hill? Definite, Definitely my favorite off the record. Good beat to it. Just kind of drives you along. Seems like a good way to go out.
0: It is on. We're playing out on Tulse Hill. Awesome. Uh, I have been Chris. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at SoundtrackCast. Go to SoundtrackCast.com. Uh, subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice. Like us, review us, uh, rate us, or just listen. I'm not the boss of you. Do whatever you want. Daniel, do you have anything you want to push before we head out? You can find me on Twitter if you're really bored, I guess.
1: I'm at FreakPirate. You can check out my theater company. We're Scorpio Theater. Uh, and you can check out the roller derby league that I rep for our Calgary Roller
0: Derby Association. Nice. Do all of the things, you guys. Follow all of the things. Or bravely blaze your own path. 24 minutes to Tulsa Hill. Let's go.
1: Constant spells you, we can be your guide. The runaway train will take you for a ride. It's an 8-8 special with all the manic doors. Johnny Guitar, tell him where it goes. Down the tracks like a thunderstorm. Past the house where I was born. Guaranteed and bonafide. Jamie Wilde, white knuckle ride. We got Pretentious pensioners and pimps, anonymous alcoholics looking for a drink. Put your feet up, enjoy the show. Twenty-five.